You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Mark 12, 35 here. Before we read, just a little background just to get us back into where we're at. Jesus is going to continue, continue teaching in that temple area where he was. He's answered a lot of questions of the scribes, the chief priests, elders, Pharisees, Herodians, Sadducees. Remember, this whole group has come to him. Questions, you know, by what authority are you doing these things? Why are you teaching? What authority? And, and um, uh, is it lawful to pay taxes uh, what about the resurrection? Uh, lastly, the question, what, which is the greatest commandment? These sorts of questions. All of them Jesus has answered marvelously. And they are, according to the verse before our passage, they are done asking questions. No one dared ask him anything else. But now Jesus gets a chance. He gets his turn, if you will. and He's not finished. He's going to ask his own questions. Um, regarding the scribes and this idea of Messiah. So let's read God's word here in these verses. Mark twelve thirty five. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Let me pray for our time again. Lord, as we look into your word, I pray. I praise you. I thank you for your word, every word of it breathed out by you as a gracious gift to us, Old and New Testament alike. Lord, uh, we agree with Peter. There are things sometimes hard to understand, but we pray in our passage today you would make clear your kingship, your lordship, and may we submit to that. May we gladly submit to your lordship in our lives as Jesus and Messiah and Savior And God, help my words today. May you guide us along as we think through these short verses here that we have before us. We ask this by your spirit. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, like I said, this is a shorter section. But nonetheless, this is God's breathed out word, isn't it? And so we are going to do well to pay attention to what he has to say. Even the the people here that were listening at the end of what I just read, the great throng, they heard him gladly. They heard what Jesus had to say and they listened gladly. And so we want to also listen in and say, what is Jesus saying in these short, this short little passage at least that we're looking at? He's teaching in the temple and here's his question. It's at the latter part of verse 35. So he's in the temple, and here's his question for these scribes. He says, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? The view of the scribes, as we've looked at before, it's given right here. They anticipated a Christ, a Messiah. Same terminology, just interchangeable. Christ, Greek way, uh, Messiah. 
this Savior, this ruler that would come. And this one they expected would be the son of David. And we want to give a little bit of background to this as we think about Israel and their expectations for Messiah. What were they expecting here? Clearly, I think we can look at back at 2 Samuel 7. You don't have to turn there, but 2 Samuel 7 is kind of the, the, the go-to passage. This is this where God promises David this, this forever throne. Remember David of Goliath and Bathsheba fame, that, that King David? He would wanted to build a house to the Lord, and the Lord comes, speaks to him, and says, no, you're gonna, your throne will endure forever. Your offspring from you is going to endure forever. There's going to be a, a forever kingdom a forever throne of rule from this King David. So that's the expectation. There's this offspring of David. And then there was subsequent prophecies from that. And Israel looked forward to this descendant of David, this Messiah, who would one one day come to make all things right. And here was, at least from what I can gather, some of the messianic expectation. And I'm going to just... Put a, put a disclaimer out here. It's hard to pin down what were all, what were all these different groups. Were they all, we can't just cookie cutter and say they're all the same, but here's at least some expectations that were going around, even in Jesus' day, of what this Messiah, you know, they're, they're waiting for this Messiah. What would he be like, this Christ? Uh, here's some of them. There was an earthly rule of Messiah. He would rule. Uh, here's what one commentator explains. He would be, quote, a warrior prince who would expel the hated Romans from Israel and bring in a kingdom in which the Jews would be promoted to world dominion. Here's what I gather, and here's why I'm going to use the word seems. It seems to be in Israel, in the expectations of Messiah, there's a sort of nationalistic and earthly flavor to it. Um, there's a longing for this Messiah. It's kind of like the Jewish people uh, had made freedom from oppression, right? The Romans and this, they almost made that in the earthly reign of Israel, the restoration of the kingdom. They made that their goal rather than God himself. Now, this is subtle. I don't think it's just plain and out there, but there's a subtle drift towards this nationalism, I think, of Israel. I won't say, well, they didn't want to worship God. I think they did, but certainly what we're going to see is they, they were missing all of it. Because who were they missing? They were missing the true Messiah who had come. They were missing uh, God himself that had come. And so there's this shuttle, subtle shift, I think, from, from this expectation of Messiah and really an entire glory of God to just Israel's going to reign. There is a godly kingdom, but... We're going to be done with oppressors and we're going to reign and have dominion. Um, here's something interesting I found by a, a Jew, a modern Jew named Tracy Rich. Found this and here's what he says. He says, I do not claim to be a rabbi or an expert on Judaism. I'm just a traditional observant Jew who has put in a lot of research. And I'm going to read you a rather extended portion of his research. Lest we think this Jewish expectation of, of a Messiah ended with Jesus. They did not see him as the Messiah. They continue to look for Messiah. And here's at least some of what he's written, and, and I appreciate it because it's kind of in a summary form. 
and gives us a flavor of the modern day expectation of the Jewish person for Messiah. So listen, in. now he's going to use the word uh, Mashiach in here for the word Messiah. So when you hear me read Mashiach, hear Messiah. He's going to explain why he does that. It's quite interesting, but here's kind of their view. Belief in the eventual coming of the Mashiach, Messiah, is a basic and fundamental part of traditional Judaism. It is part of Ram Bam's 13 principles of faith, the minimum requirements of Jewish belief. In the Shemona Esrei prayer, recited three times daily, we pray for all of the elements of the coming of the Mashiach, in gathering of the exiles, restoration of the religious courts of justice, an end of wickedness, sin and heresy, reward to the righteous, rebuilding of Jerusalem, restoration of the line of King David, and restoration of temple service. He says the word Mashiach does not mean Savior. The notion of an innocent, divine, or semi-divine being who will sacrifice himself to save us from the consequences of our own sins is a purely Christian concept that has no basis in Jewish thought. Unfortunately, this Christian concept has become so deeply ingrained in the English word Messiah that this English word can no longer be used to refer to the Jewish concept. That's Hence his Mashiach. He's got to even change that because Messiah just looks too close to Jesus. Okay, I'll keep reading. Um, uh, the Mashiach will be a great political leader descended from King David. The Mashiach is often referred to as son of David. He will be well-versed in Jewish law and observant of its commandments. He will be a charismatic leader, inspiring others to follow his example. He will be a great military, military leader who will win battles for Israel. He will be a great judge who makes righteous decisions. But above all, he will be a human being, not a god, demigod or other supernatural being. He goes on to say, although some scholars believe that God has set aside a specific date for the coming of the Mashiach, most authorities suggest that the conduct of mankind will determine the time of Mashiach's coming. In general, it is believed that the Mashiach will come in a time when he is most needed because the world is so sinful or in a time when he is most deserved because the world is so good. For example, each of the following has been suggested as the time when the Mashiach will come. Here's suggestions that he's giving. If is, so like one, if Israel repented a single day, that, that would mean he would come. Okay? If Israel observed a single Shabbat or Sabbath properly, if Israel observed two Shabbats in a row properly. Uh, another one, in a generation that is totally innocent or totally guilty. Another one, in a generation that loses hope. Uh, also, in a generation where children are totally disrespectful toward their parents and elders. I, that's, what it's, that's what's here. That's when he might come. Okay. Before the time of Mashiach, there shall be war and suffering. The Mashiach will bring about the political and spiritual redemption of the Jewish people by bringing us back to Israel and restoring Jerusalem. He will establish a government in Israel that will be the center 
of all world government, both for Jews and Gentiles. He will rebuild the temple and reestablish its worship. He will restore the religious court system of Israel and establish Jewish law as the law of the land. The modern day, I think the copyright on this site was 2011, but let's modern day explanation of this Jewish longing for Messiah. I think it gives us a flavor of the Jewish expectation of Messiah. An expectation of a restored Israel, a restored nation, free from oppression. But again, lacking that idea towards restored, I think, hearts towards their God, towards sin, towards even Christ coming as God to destroy death and to give victory. Uh, They want a kingdom, but it's a kingdom without the Savior, Jesus. And so there's just this subtle shift here and from what I'm reading and looking at of this desire of Israel for this Messiah, this Christ, as they would say, to come and restore them. Um, By way of application, before we look at the next verse here, before we get too much on Israel's case of just this maybe this nationalism, even though I think a true Jew would say, we want to worship God. I don't think they would deny that, but there's just this bent there. Um, We see that in them. May we also, in our country, just say this, be cautious of this type of Christian Christian nationalism. We want to be cautious with this. And I may step on some toes, but we want to be careful. When we uh, use terms like, Make America great again. We want a good country. We want a great country. And I support and I see what our government is doing. There are some great things going on. But we also want to be careful, like Israel, that we don't miss the greater glory of God in our desire as a, as a country. We want to be, I mean, if we're a country and we're sending out missionaries and we're proclaiming the gospel and we're proclaiming God and that's our treasure, that's a good thing. We just want to be cautious that that's not our subtle shift towards an exaltation of America over God. I'm not saying don't be patriotic or any of those things, but we just want to be careful that we would exalt as our end goal the Lord, the Messiah, Christ, above anything, that His glory, that the nation's would bow and understand and submit and come to this Lord. So hopefully that gives us just a flavor. And again, it's not a great, not an expert flavor, but a flavor of messianic thought in the Jewish mind. Um, Leaning towards nationalism, uh, in a sense. Let's look at the next verses then. Verse 36 through a little bit of 37, David himself, now Jesus is saying this, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? I want to look at just two aspects um, of what Jesus says here in these verses. The first one is that David spoke by the Holy Spirit or ESV, in the Holy Spirit, interchangeable words there. He spoke in the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that. 
And then number two is to look at the text that Jesus is citing here. Maybe you have those notes in your Bible where he goes to. Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 110. That's where this is taken from. So I want you to turn back there and find Psalm 110. And as you're turning there, we want to think about David and and, uh, how Jesus says David himself speaks by the Holy Spirit. He says, in the Holy Spirit. As you're going to Psalm 110, Jesus makes clear that what the New Testament makes clear, that the Scriptures are inspired by God himself in their writings. Um, David, of course, you know, a Psalm of David. So we presume David wrote this Psalm. But did he? Well, he was carried along. He was inspired. This is God-breathed words here to make Psalm 110 and the rest of Scripture. So what the Holy Spirit therefore writes is holy. It's set apart. It's accurate. It's truthful. It's useful to us uh, for salvation, for worship of our God. That's why any study, even short little verses, genealogies, all these places are important because it's God's word to us. It's what he's said. And and we're uh, doing very well to study it, pay attention, look at it, rightly handle it, and understand his word. And so quite fitting that Jesus here takes part of the Old Testament and is going to do some work with it and, and help us and help those scribes understand this Uh, messianic expectation hopefully you are at psalm 110 and just look at verse 1 i'll read it to you it's virtually the same as our passage it does say a psalm of david the lord some of you have that capitalized the lord says to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool this is a psalm of david he's the one speaking and he declares that yahweh L-O-R-D, someone, some of you have that all capitals, Yahweh, Lord. He utters this, or he says this to my Lord. So David's speaking. We've got to just see that in your mind. David's speaking, and yet there's, he's saying, the Lord says to my Lord, and he goes on to say, sit at my right hand, and so forth. The, Lord, the word for Lord here, the last one, the Lord says to my Lord, is the same, it's Hebrew Adonai, or Lord. Um, what Jesus is asking back in Mark is, who is David speaking about? Is David speaking about his son? And if so, how can his son be a Lord? Because the scribes, they looked at the Christ to be the son of David. That was something they believed. But he's saying, how can this son be also my Lord? I think we have here really an exegetical type sermon by Jesus going back to Psalm 110 in which Jesus is going to explain what David meant. David's son would reign. That's what we talked about as we looked at 2 Samuel 7. He would reign, but there was something greater about this one than just mere sonship and mere earthly reign. It was lordship. Messiah was a descendant of David, but much more than earthly descent, he was in fact Lord. Even as the New Testament makes clear, he was Lord of lords, King of kings. One commentator, uh, amongst others, I think, points out this psalm, Psalm 110, is one of the most cited passages of Scripture in the New Testament. Testament. It shows up in Mark, where we're at, Matthew, the book of Acts, Hebrews, 
elsewhere. For this reason, um, I'm just going to read all of it to us. And I want you to hear the majesty of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus, Messiah, Jesus Christ. So let me read the psalm. It's not very long, seven verses in the entirety. Hear about this Lord. Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. We see here the Lord, the priest, this victor in judgment. The Messiah, he is both Lord at the right hand of God, the Father. He's a priest forever. Book of Hebrews, you're going to see that a lot. Who intercedes for his people. And he's a victor in judgment upon the earth. We want to come away from this psalm and really from the scriptures, don't they? Because they point to Christ with a high view of Christ Jesus. I'm adding Jesus because of the, the, the Jewish way of saying Christ. Sure, we believe in Christ Jesus, who was born to Mary. That Jesus uh, as the fulfillment of this psalm. We want to come away with a high view of him. He is the meek and humble servant who would lay down his life for his own. And he's also the reigning Lord who has a day of wrath. If you're reading on our two-year reading plan together as a church, you're in Revelation. You've been reading about this wrath and this judgment that will come upon those who do not repent, who do not come after the Savior. The Jewish people were ready for a reigning king, but not for a suffering servant. I think they were ready for this warrior prince, that we want to be free from oppression. But they did not perceive his deity. Let's go back to our passage in Mark 12. As we look back at this, because here we see Jesus, a greater interpreter has arrived than the scribes. Um, It's kind of like the author of a book. It's not kind of, it is the author of the book arriving when everybody else was trying to uh, figure out what the book was about. I've got a book at home called Lost Moon, written by James Lovell. You remember that he was the uh, commander of Apollo 13 that capsule that that had trouble in space and they through all sorts of uh, chaos disaster they actually brought these guys back safely he wrote the book okay it'd be like me reading that book and try to trying to understand what the life of an astronaut is like or or us trying to say here's what it's like it'd be quite different if that astronaut himself who lived it and who helped write this book came and said well here's what it was really like here's i have the definite interpretation of this That's, I think, this idea of Jesus and the scribes. The scribes are looking at the scriptures, interpreting. Um, Jesus comes and says, here, look, the Messiah you're looking for, he is to be Lord. 
as well. I think we can take great comfort and go, well, what if we're like the scribe? Can we interpret? What's he given? He's given the Spirit to reveal his word to us. And so we have that hope in us that we can understand what he said. Well, the crowds heard Jesus gladly here, it says at the end. Uh, maybe, a couple reasons, maybe they thought uh, Jesus had humbled the scribes. We're going to see later on in the verses that they like to walk around in their long robes and be seen and have the, uh, what is it, the, the best seats in the synagogues, that sort of thing. Maybe they're like, oh, this guy's finally got it. They got what's coming to them. Jesus kind of put them in their place. That, that could be. I like to think as well, though, they were glad because one had come, the author, who was teaching with an authority they had not seen before. And they were listening to him gladly. This passage reminds us, it calls us back again to really examine our worship of Jesus. Who Jesus is to us. Jesus who is both Lord and Messiah. He's worthy of all praise and honor and glory. A couple thoughts as we look back on this. One is to the dads here today for Father's Day. and I want to speak to you, to myself in particular. As you, father, dad, you are the closest pastor your family has. It's not me. You've heard me maybe say that before. You are the pastor in your home to shepherd, to lead your family. And so I want to ask you, Dad, is Jesus Lord in your life and in your home? Is he more than just a mere historical figure, one who we sing about, but then during the week we just really don't mention him at all? I want to challenge you with that. Um, we as dads, we're to protect our families. We need to nourish them. We want to provide for them, love them, love on them. But the question again is, and I think I brought it up last year, is what is the best thing you can give to your family as shepherd of your own family, Dad? What's the best thing you can give to them? I would submit, the Bible would submit, to love the Lord Jesus, to love Him. It's the greatest thing gift to our families to follow him with all your heart point your family again like we were talking in sunday school not to ourselves not to say you know i hope they notice today what a great dad i am i hope they understand my wisdom and just how right i am right is that our goal or um i've got a great inheritance for my uh for my kids or i want them to to model my work ethic all these things are good, we want to pass on to our next generation these things. But what will really survive, what will last for them to truly treasure and to really bring them satisfaction? It's Jesus. It's Lord, Messiah. This one sitting at the right hand of God who rules, who's King of kings and Lord of lords. So Dad, I want to encourage you in that, to love Jesus. Give your family that best gift. We have a great high priest, his blood shed on the cross and he lives forever. He intercedes for sinful dads and sinful moms and sinful children before the Father. This Lord, Jesus, Messiah, Christ. encourage you, run to this Savior today and His grace. 
We have a great Lord and Master. He bought us at a price, His own blood, that we might live for Him and see His glory. I just encourage you, any of you, all of you, to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Put no other gods before Him. And they come at us and they are tempting. May we worship our Lord God, our Savior, alone. And we have in Jesus a great treasure and a great hope. I want you to turn to one more passage real briefly. And it's in 2 Corinthians 4. Those in Sunday school will recognize this section. Maybe your Bible will turn easily there, but 2 Corinthians 4. And I just want to leave with verses 5 through 11 as a sort of call for us dads today for our lives, really a renewal of what we are to be about. May we give our families this love of Christ. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 4. I'll start in verse 5 and I'll end at verse 11. Dad's fill in the blank. Here's our call to go home. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death For Jesus' sake, so that, that's the purpose, so that, why? So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Let's pray together. Lord, we're praying this scripture today for us as dads, fathers, who on numerous times have failed who on numerous times are jars of clay who have looked more like the world than looked like Christ to our families. Lord, perhaps we've had fathers that did not look to us like Christ at all. The very opposite. Lord, I'm praying that Jesus Christ would reign supreme in each of our hearts as dads. Lord, may you revive our hearts to stir us to say, you are my Lord. Whatever you say, wherever you send, I will go, I will do, I follow you. My desire is to follow you. Lord, empower me to follow you. And Lord, I pray for others, moms and kids, young people, singles and those married, those elderly those who've just given birth, Lord, may we submit to our Lord Jesus Christ 
May we set you above any other desire, any other goal, any other hope, any other treasure, and worship you alone. Lord, we're asking you to do this by the power of your name, for we are powerless without spirit to do this very thing. We ask this in the name of Jesus.